deeply and to incorporate a new kind of transparency. Weekday evenings at 6.30 here on Radio Catskill. Hello, 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 and welcome to the local edition. News and information to keep you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Monday evening, Patricio Robayo. There is a flood watch that remains in effect starting tomorrow, Tuesday afternoon through Wednesday afternoon. Flooding caused by rain and snow melt continues to be possible. Portions of central New York, including the following area, Sullivan and Northeast Pennsylvania, this is happening again Tuesday afternoon through Wednesday afternoon. Excessive runoff may result in flooding of rivers, creeks, streams, and other low-lying and flood-prone locations. Creeks and streams may rise out of their banks. Flooding may occur in poor drainage and urban areas. And this is, of course, according to the New York Weather Service in Binghamton. In the second half of the show, I'll be speaking to Sullivan County Recycling Coordinator Casey Thelman. We'll be talking about the post-holiday recycling program that the county currently has. But first, it's our regular check-in with New York Focus. The independent newsroom doing in-depth reporting on how the state really works. On the program now is Colin Kinneborough, climate and environmental reporter for New York Focus. Welcome to the program, Colin. Hey, glad to be here. So it's been a busy couple of weeks for the governor. Before we get into the bills that were passed, let's talk about the governor's track record and when it comes to signing or rejecting bills. Yeah, at the end of the year, there's always a flurry of bills that hits the governor's desk. The main part of the legislative session ends in June with hundreds and hundreds of bills passed. This year, it was close to 900, 896 to be exact. And then the governor has the second half of the year to review those bills and either sign or reject them. Things often get pushed to the last minute. So the last few weeks of the year, we often see a lot of bill signings and vetoes and even just in the days leading up to Christmas and New Year's. So this year was no exception. Governor Hochul signed the vast majority of the bills as she and her predecessors generally have. But she also made it clear that she's not afraid to wield her veto pen and reject bills that she doesn't like. Her office actually put out a statement just before Christmas talking about what she called or what they called some extreme legislative proposals that they rejected and others that they made changes to. If we want to be exact, there were she vetoed 115 bills this year out of those almost 900 and made substantial changes negotiated behind the scenes. Those are called chapter amendments to uh, almost another 100 bills. So Altogether, she's actually, despite that statement and coming out swinging with those fighting words, basically, she actually hasn't vetoed quite as many bills as some of her predecessors. Cuomo and Hochul's other and other former governors actually vetoed a larger share of bills. But Hochul has been very eager to seek those chapter amendments, as I mentioned, which often have been quite substantial, making changes that sometimes supporters of these bills say actually gut the main substance of the bill. And in other cases, they, they, the changes that the office is, that Hochul's office is seeking are big enough that they reach an impasse. And that's often where you end up with a veto if she doesn't just veto them off the bat. So I would say that's been the overall trend with Hochul so far. Her first year, she was like 
ve- projecting being very conciliatory, making lots of chapter amendments and vetoing very few bills. Now she's in full swing as an elected governor and she's she's vetoing more bills, but still not quite as many as some of her predecessors. Right. And in one of the videos we've talked about is vetoing the judicial nominations. So can you provide more insights into the governor's veto of judicial nominations and its sort of broader impact on the uh, transparency? Sure. So this was a bill about disclosing basically who was paying for lobbying on key judicial nominations. So over the past year, we had a very wide, closely watched and heated fight over who was going to lead New York State's top court, the Court of Appeals. Governor Hochul's original nomination for that position didn't end up making it through. Um, the Senate didn't approve his nomination. And but there was a lot of tumult along the way and some spending from groups that got to be anonymous, basically, because there isn't a law around disclosing who's paying for those campaigns, unlike other campaigns for elected office in the state. So this was a bill that would have retroactively forced retroactively and moving forward forced whoever's spending on that kind of lobbying to disclose it. Hochul rejected the bill, saying that it was basically too hard to implement, but she was still working to strengthen transparency in government. But I think we've seen some other decisions from our office that maybe call that into question a little bit. There was also a lot of attention this year around a bill that would have required LLCs, so shell companies in the state to disclose their real owners. That was a bill that passed with a lot of support. And Hochul did end up signing a version of it. But the changes, she got some major changes that actually ended up meaning that the disclosures won't be public. Basically, the companies will have to disclose this to the state, but the state doesn't actually have to go and make that data open to the public. So a lot of the groups that supported the bill said that pretty much gutted the main intent of it. Who knows? There may still be ways to track down who's behind these shell companies. But that's one example of I think that was seen as a big loss for transparency after that bill passed this year. Absolutely. Uh, Just a question as a reporter, does does that mean that those can be foiled now because they went to the state or... Is there any way information other than you say other ways to get that sort of information? Exactly. I, I would think that there there could be a way through public records requests, and that's certainly an avenue we're interested in pursuing. Stay tuned to New York Focus. Yes, definitely. So one of Governor Hochul's first veto of the year was on uh, offshore wind transmission. So can we talk about how does this sort of decision impact New York's efforts to meet its climate goals, especially considering the recent economic challenges we've had and the political backlash she's faced? Yeah. So this was another hotly contested bill. It pushed, it, it faced a lot of pushback from Republicans, especially in both changer, chambers of the legislature, but ended up passing this year with strong Democratic support. It was a bill that would basically allow an offshore wind company to put transmission cables through a beach on Long Island. So the beach is technically parkland, it's public land. So you have to go through a special process to basically sell any part of that land to a developer um, of any kind. And so this bill would have basically made it easier to get the power from the wind turbines off the shore of Long Island um, to New York City and to the rest of the state, basically. And the company... It's Equinor. It's a major European wind developer that is developing some of the big projects here off the coast of New York, said that this would be crucial to actually building their project, which was at the time the largest of the four offshore wind projects that were in the pipeline for New York State. 
even after the bill was passed, there continued to be a lot of backlash, both from Republicans and eventually from some local Democrats. And sure enough, Hochul ended up taking some of those arguments that that the critics were making about local control and vetoing the bill as her first veto of the year. So that was pretty surprising or pretty striking, at least, given the commitments that the governor and the state have publicly made to developing renewables in general and offshore wind specifically, which is baked into the state's climate law. Just a few days ago, actually, just as we were publishing this veto roundup, we learned that Equinor, the developer of this major wind project, has actually canceled its contract with the state to develop the project. They didn't mention the bill veto specifically, but I would have to imagine that was a factor along with these, those broader economic headwinds you mentioned. Inflation has been a big issue for the renewable industry as well as for the rest of the economy. Obviously costs for labor and everything else that goes into the building renewable projects is going up and the state declined to give these developers more money as they were asking for to build their project. So that, along with vetoing this bill, I think, made it very hard for the company to move ahead. So we'll have to see whether it gets replaced and what happens basically with whether New York is going to be able to build out offshore wind and renewables more broadly as quickly as it's supposed to meet its climate targets. We talked about like vetoes. We've seen like repeat vetoes, like the grieving families bill vetoed for the second time. Why do you think the legislature persists in passing bills that that will face veto. And, and what is that sort of dynamic at play here? Yeah, the, we've seen this come up with a number of bills. I think the Grieving Families Act was one of the most prominent. That's a bill that would have made it possible for the families of victims of wrongful deaths to sue for emotional damages. This was a subject of a lot of attention last year when it was vetoed and again this year and the governor vetoed it again. We had something similar happen with an environmental bill that I've covered before around regulating certain kinds of streams, smaller streams, and whether they should get the same kind of protections that larger waterways in the state get. That was a bill that actually passed for the third time this year. A version of it had passed under Governor Cuomo, got vetoed then because they said they didn't have the staff to basically enforce this. Governor Hochul made the same argument last year and the same argument again this year. Why the I think the legislature basically is, especially with bills like that pass with overwhelming support, I think they are always looking for a way to get it through and maybe make slight changes every year, hoping that will be enough to informed by whatever negotiations they've had with the governor's office the year before and hoping that will be enough to get it over the finish line this year. In, but in, in both of these cases where I mentioned, clearly it wasn't enough and the governor vetoed it again. So. We'll have to see whether they actually take another swing at them or whether they let these and other repeat vetoes go and just move on to other priorities. That's not clear yet. What is so what is there for the reasons behind the last church repeating passing bills? Why haven't they been successfully overriding those vetoes? Yeah, I think it's particularly interesting because since the elections in November 2020, Democrats have had super majorities in both chambers and the Senate and the Assembly, which means that if they really wanted to, they could override a veto from the governor. They could go back and pass that bill and just say they're ignoring the governor on this. But they have shown no interest in doing that. And Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty actually gave an interview about this, I believe, just last week. And what he said, he described veto overrides as nuclear options and said you would hope to never get to that point. I think the context we're looking at here is that the the governor and the legislature always have to work together to get a legislation over the finish line. 
So I think neither of them right now are willing to take actions that are seen as overly hostile. And I think a veto override is seen as a very hostile way to get something passed, especially at the beginning of the year. Now we're heading into uh, a very busy part of the legislative calendar um, going into budget season, which is when some of the biggest ticket items in the state get passed. So I think the legislature is very hesitant to do something as dramatic as a veto override heading into budget season where they know they're going to have to negotiate things with the governor and where the governor has a lot of built in power just because of the way um, the budget is set up. Yeah, but we'll have to see if that ever changes, whether maybe there's a bill that the legislature feels strongly about that they would be willing to go for a veto override. We haven't seen it in I couldn't tell you exactly how long one of our reporters who's been covering Albany for 15 years says he hasn't seen a veto override since he's been covering this beat. So we'll see if that changes anytime soon. We've had some veto overrides in New York City Council recently, but I don't know if that trend is going to move to the state legislature anytime soon. Now, like I said, New Focus has a really deep dive into all the bills that were, were passed and veto bills as a sort of a database really on New York's Focus website. Some of the bills I just want to mention are disclosing lobbying and nominations, planned off, we talked about planned offshore wind transmission, campaign finance rollback, childcare costs, non-competent agreements, non-religious addiction treatment, uh, tropical deforestation, divestment, challenging wrongful convictions, stream protection, grieving families. So the whole list is there on, on their focus website. So now looking ahead, do you see the legislature making efforts to revisit and pass any of these veto bills, or you think Governor Hochul's final vote will be, that's it? I think very broadly speaking, it's very likely that the legislature will take another crack at some of them, probably not all of them. Uh, I think it's a little early to say yet which which bills exactly I don't have. I haven't been able to report that out much, and I'm not sure my, my coworkers have yet either, but I'm sure we'll see some bills come up again for a third or even a fourth time, and others will get cast to the wayside. I thank you for mentioning the database we put together, we've talked about some of the just a handful of examples here. And we have 10 bills that we covered that we highlighted in our roundup. But I hope people can head to nysfocus.com, check out the website, we've got a comprehensive database of all the bills that got vetoed this year. And you can actually find the memos for each from Hochul's office explaining why they vetoed each bill, which is something that's very hard to find anywhere else online. So I hope people will check that out. And yeah, excited to see where things go from here going into budget season. Again, as I mentioned, a very busy time and whether Hochul kind of keeps up her style so far of being unafraid uh, to, to challenge legislation that, that she doesn't like and where that ends up taking New York state. Absolutely. Colin, before we go, is there anything else I have that touched on you want folks to know about? I think we covered it again. The bills we talked about are just the tip of the icebergs. Yeah. Hope people can check out. NYS Focus, New York Focus, and and dig in more. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking to Colin, climate and environmental reporter for New York Focus. Let's say New York Focus has a big database on all the bills that were passed and vetoed and everything that Governor Hochul has been up to in Albany. So thank you so much for joining us on the program and really going over these new bills. Look forward to this new year, like you said, and the legislature to see what, what happens. So thank you so much, Colin, for joining us on the program. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. You can find that New York Focus article right on our website at WJFFradio.org. You also see the YouTube video that we have there. We'll be right back talking to Sullivan County about what to do with these Christmas trees that we have. Stay tuned. It's like the room just cleared of smoke. I didn't even want- 
You are listening to the Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Hi, it's Michelle Martin. Mornings can be tough. Getting your day started when you're barely awake takes effort. And while we can't brush your teeth for you, pick out a shirt, or get you or your kids, good luck with that, where you need to be, we can help you get ready with stories that help you understand the world you're about to step into while wearing that shirt. You know, that one, the one with the stripes. Ease into your day with Morning Edition from NPR News. On Radio Catskill. Here's an invitation for you to join the party here at the Retro Cocktail Hour, where the swinging sounds of the Space Age Bachelor Pad come alive. Every week we serve up classic tiki tunes, private eye jazz, groovy bossa nova, and other incredibly strange music. I'm Daryl Brogdon. Join us for a hi-fi highball, the Retro Cocktail Hour, every week on Radio Catskill. Wednesday night at 7 on Radio Catskill. Welcome back to the local edition on Radio Catskill. Joining us on the phone now is Sullivan County Recycling Coordinator, Casey Thelman. Casey is here to share some information about the Pulse Holiday Recycling Initiative in Sullivan County. Welcome to the program, Casey. So, Casey, can you tell us, uh, our listeners about this Christmas tree recycling program that Sullivan County Department of Solid Waste and Recycling is currently running? So each year in January at our transfer stations, we accept old Christmas trees, live Christmas trees. We accept the artificial trees in our regular waste stream, but special during the month of January, we do accept live Christmas trees. We accept them at all of our transfer stations, which include Monticello, Ferndale, Mamacating, Rockland, Highland, and the Western Sullivan Transfer Station. So our goal is to keep those trees out of the landfill and we can re, we can mulch them up and reuse the material throughout the county for beautification projects or landscaping. As long as we're keeping that material out of the landfill, that's our main goal. We do encourage if you have access at home to backyards or open space, you can also keep your tree at home out in the woods or in your yard if you want. It can provide cover or shelter for different types of wildlife or bird's nest, things like that. But if you're not interested in doing that, we are accepting them. You mentioned how important it is for residents and businesses to and to do that and so many kind of visitors to do that, participate in a program to keep them out of landfills. And yeah, you mentioned that repurposing the the trees and for those who have room and have the space they can put them out into their backyard and he said become new homes for the birds and whatever critters are on, on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not really sure if any part of the tree is really edible for the animals, but it can definitely provide shelter and cover. And I've even done some reading. Obviously, you'd have to check with your local management department, but they say fish like Christmas trees in the water, too. So I'm not... I'd have to do a lot more research on that, but I I thought that was pretty interesting. What you need to do to get your uh, tree uh, ready for that. You're talking about the Christmas trees. Do you feel like the Christmas trees, if you recycle them, will contribute to the environmental conservation efforts of the county? Yeah, so uh, pretty much anything that goes into our regular waste stream, we're, we end up trucking that upstate to Seneca Meadows, if you're not already aware. That's the landfill that we use. 
So not only is it going in the landfill and creating methane and contributing to our global crisis, but it's also all the greenhouse gases it takes to get there, the carbon emissions. So anything we can keep out of the waste stream, we're trying to do that. So Christmas trees are just our organics program, although they're classified differently as yard waste. It's still keeping that organic material from preventing, causing more methane and carbon emissions and keep just keeping it out of the landfill. Yeah, no, absolutely. It definitely contributes to that. So you, you mentioned that, let's talk about some of the guidelines or recommendations for preparing the Christmas tree. Oh, you, you're not wanting folks to come in with a live, former live tree with full of tinsel and garments like that, right? Exactly. Anything that's not organic or biodegradable needs to come off the tree. So any tinsel, ornaments, lights, it needs to just be the plain natural tree, the green and the stem and bark. Everything else needs to be discarded separately. You you mentioned about the Seneca Meadows there. Where are we in that process? That that is set to close soon, right? And the county is in the process of trying to find a new solution to the recycling and waste we have? Yes. Seneca Meadows, they're not closing their permit is up for renewal. There's talks that maybe it won't get renewed, but it might also get renewed. Unfortunately, it's all up in the air right now. The county, the commissioner of public works, and the legislator are in the talks of what we're going to do if it doesn't reopen. And we are exploring different options. And now with the new legislator, it's the time to to really figure it out. Their contract is up at the end of 2025. So although two years seems like a long time, it's really not when we have such a large stream of garbage that we're going to have to handle. Yeah, absolutely. I said You mentioned maybe folks may not realize of the road trip our garbage goes because obviously we don't have a Monticello landfill that is active. So the garbage does get transferred up to Seneca Meadows in New York. Yep, Seneca Meadows, and it's about a four-hour round trip. I don't know the mileage off the top of my head, but it's a big haul. We have 10 to 12 tractor trailers leaving Monticello every day, and during the summertime, that number could double or triple. So we we have a lot of waste leaving Sullivan County, and, and we need somewhere for it to go. So if we can cut back on that waste, like with our new composting program, our food scrap recycling program, or with this Christmas trees and our regular single stream recycling, the plastic, glass, metal, cardboard, paper, anything we can keep out of the main garbage stream is incredibly important. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the last time we spoke about was during the beginning of the the composting initiative. You were giving folks information on how to sign up for it. How? Where is the status? Where is that? It's programmed on in, in stage. It's You had the sign-up period, right? And now, where are we now? Yep. Yep. So we launched the program back in October. We Our goal was to get 400 res- residents, and we're more than halfway there. So we're going to continue our pilot program for quite a while. But my goal is in 2024 to apply with the DEC for funding and permission and see what we can do to take this from a pilot program to a full-fledged composting facility in Sullivan County. Absolutely. That's just, just, again, another thing that the county is doing to help with the environmental issues that we are having here. So if folks want to be informed and stay informed, individuals, businesses, about recycling initiatives and other programs offered by Sullivan County Department of Solid Waste and Recycling, where can they go? 
Yeah, great question. So all of our information is on our website, which is SullivanNY.us. There's info there on our single stream recycling, on our Christmas tree collection, on our compost program. You can also uh, contact me at 845-807-0291 or email me at recycling at SullivanNY.us. And we also have a Facebook page, which is Sullivan County NY Recycles. Thank you so much for joining us and providing some insights into the Sullivan County Christmas Tree Recycling Program. And if I could say in the beginning, Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year. Thank you so much. You got it. Thank you so much uh, for joining us and we hope to talk to you again soon. You got it. Thank you. And that does it for the local edition. Thank you to my first guest, Colin, from the New York Focus, talking about the bills. That happened in Albany, signed in by Governor Kathy Hochul. And thank you again to Casey, letting us know what's happening at the transfer station and how you can recycle your Christmas tree and benefit the environment at the same time. So that does it for the local edition. Coming up for you this week on the local edition, we have some great guests lined up for you already. Tomorrow is the Governor's State of the State. So that we catch that live on Radio Catskill starting at 1 p.m. And on Wednesday, we'll be talking to the River Reporter. But what's happening on the pages of the River Reporter? The latest news in the Catskills. Then we'll be talking to Salt. Sullivan allies leading together about the upcoming LGBTQIA plus town hall series. On Thursday, we'll be speaking to Philip Pontuso from the Times Union. Find out what's happening in the Hudson Valley. And on Friday, we have a special going on. I get a chance to speak to prison journalist John J. Lennon. About a bill that was going to remove some of the rights of prisoners who wanted to express themselves in journalism. That's all happening this week on the local edition. If you ever miss a show, we have a podcast. You can find us anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Google, Apple, Stitcher. Search for WJFF, The Local Edition. Subscribe, share it, tell your friends. Find us on social media. We're at WJFF Radio Catskill. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Reels, Threads. You name it, we're there. Visit our website, WJFFRadio.org. Quick look at the weather. Tonight, low around 18. Tuesday, snow likely before 3 p.m. And then rain possibly mixed with snow. Patchy fog after 1 p.m. Tuesday night, rain mainly before 5 a.m. The rain could be heavy at times. Areas of fog before 4 a.m. Temperature rising to around 48 by 4 a.m. And on Wednesday, a chance of rain before 7 a.m. There's a chance of showers between 7 a.m. and 1 p.m. Mostly cloudy with a high near 43. There is a flood watch that remains in effect starting tomorrow, Tuesday afternoon through Wednesday afternoon. Flooding caused by rain and snow melt continues to be possible. Portions of central New York, including the following area, Sullivan and northeast Pennsylvania. This is happening again Tuesday afternoon through Wednesday afternoon. Excessive runoff may result in flooding of rivers, creeks, streams, and other low-lying and flood-prone locations. 
creeks and streams may rise out of their banks. Flooding may occur in poor drainage and urban areas. And this is, of course, according to the New York Weather Service in Binghamton. You've been listening to The Local Edition, and I've been your host for this Monday evening, Patricio Robayo. Have a good night, Lucy. This is Radio Catskill, your NPR station. Coming up for you is The Daily. Have a good night, everyone. Take care. Radio Catskill supporters include Sullivan Catskills Visitors Association, SullivanCatskills.com, Catskill Brewery, brewing ales, lagers, and mixed fermentation beers in a LEED Gold certified building, plus a food truck and beer garden at exit 96 off Route 17 in Livingston Manor, CatskillBrewery.com, and listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org. Every weekday morning at 9, News Hour from the BBC brings you the most important international news stories. News Hour helps you understand a complex world. Stay informed with News Hour from the BBC, weekday mornings at 9 on Radio Catskill.